remember how to preach. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, probably been the longest I've gone without preaching in, in a long time, but I'm really enjoying listening to Ryan, too, and I know you've been blessed by, by his messages. Today, uh, I want to begin by just asking you a question. And here's the question I want to ask. Have you ever made a foolish decision in your life? Right? I think we all have. We'd all admit, I've shared some of the ones I've made before. I certainly have. Uh, Probably one of the ones I've I've shared before is I actually ran for public office one time. The worst thing is I got elected, and that was proved to be a really foolish decision. And probably all of us have made some. I mean, maybe for some of you kids, maybe it's you have a test coming up. And you figure, you know, I don't really need to study because I know all the material. And then you actually get to class and you take the test and you find out maybe you didn't know it quite as well as you thought. So you don't get a real good grade on the test. For us as adults, sometimes it might be something like taking the wrong job. It might be some kind of a, a toxic relationship that we have with someone else. It might be making a bad investment. It might be picking the wrong church to go to. There's all kinds of, uh, of decisions that we can make that can be foolish. So that's why for the next seven weeks, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Proverbs. And we're, we're doing that with a sermon series that we're titling Foolproof. Now, I'll just admit that in hindsight, maybe that was a little bit too optimistic of a sermon title series. Because, you know, I'm not sure that even if we took and applied everything we're going to learn for the next seven weeks, that we could actually foolproof our life. It wouldn't guarantee that we wouldn't still make some foolish decisions from time to time, right? So maybe I should have called it fool reduction, but it just doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? So we're going to stick with foolproof, and and we are going to be looking at the book of Proverbs for the next seven weeks. So here's what I want you to do this morning. The book of Proverbs is in this section of Scripture that we call wisdom literature. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to the, to the uh, table of contents. I'm not going to have you go to the book of Proverbs just yet. Why don't you go to the table of contents, and we're going to see that these five books of wisdom literature, that they're, they're all grouped together in the middle of the Old Testament. And they begin with the book of Job. And the book of Job, like the book of Ecclesiastes that I'll talk about in just a moment, these are books that deal with life as it really is. This messy world that we live in where sometimes good people suffer and sometimes evil people seem to prosper, at least in this world, at least for now. So it begins with that book of Job. Most of you are familiar with that. Then we see the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is this, this book of poetry. These are poems that were used in the corporate worship of Israel. And then we get to the book of Proverbs. I'll come back to that in just a moment. That's the book we're going to be studying for the next seven weeks. Then the book of Ecclesiastes, I already mentioned that. We know that Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes a little later on in his life when he's probably not so quite so wise as when he writes Proverbs. And then finally we get to the book of Song of Solomon. Now, that's a really interesting book. A lot of people try to make that into just some kind of allegory about God's love for his people, and, and I suppose there's some of that in there, but, but if you really get right down to it, what it is, it's an erotic love poem that's written between a husband and a wife on their, on their marriage night. And maybe we ought to do a series on that sometimes. Maybe we could really fill the room if we would do a series on, on that one, but we're not going to do that. We're going to go ahead and we're going to look at the... Uh, the, the book of, of Proverbs for the next few weeks and uh, see what we can study there. Now, the book of Proverbs, it's this, this book that's made up of all these, 
these little sayings. It's written by Solomon early on in his life when he was still wise, you know. And, and that's not surprising because Solomon, when God asked him, pray for anything you want and I'll give it to you. What does Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. And early on in his life, we see he really does live a wise life, that he's, that he's not a fool by any means. And so he writes this book. It's full of these little sayings that we call Proverbs, which is where the book gets its name. And, and the book of Proverbs is not the only place, though, where we find Proverbs, right, in our culture. Matter of fact, I ran across some other Proverbs this week. And here, here's some. These are really good pieces of wisdom for us. Here's the first one. Don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. That's a good one, right? That's probably something that we could all get some wisdom from. Or how about this one? Men are from earth. Women are from earth. Deal with it. Or here's my favorite one. You probably heard this one. Give a man a fish and he will eat for a day. Teach him how to fish and he will sit in a boat and drink beer all day. So these are some of the Proverbs we get from the, the world around us. And some of these Proverbs we're going to find, they, they're really in the form of these riddles. And these riddles are, are supposed to cause us to think about some of the deep things in life. And once again, these kind of riddles are not only found in the book of Proverbs. Here's a few that I ran into this week. This one, think about this for a moment. If all the world is a stage, where's the audience sitting? Think about that one for a moment. How about this one? If you ate pasta and anti-pasta, would you still be hungry? And here's finally this one I think is really profound. If you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? So these are, these are the kind of riddles that we're going to see in the, in the book of Proverbs. And, and so we're going to look at that. We're going to begin this morning in the, with the first seven ver- verses of the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn now to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to look at this in just a moment. We're going to try to answer two questions this morning in this passage. Number one, we're going to ask, what is wisdom? And then the second thing that we're going to try to answer, the second question is, how do I get it? And I think in these seven verses, we're going to find an answer to that. So you can go ahead and follow along as I read this morning in Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we know right away who the author is. He he writes most of these. We're going to see a little later on in the book. There are a few chapters that are written by other authors, but primarily this is written by Solomon. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So there's the proverbs and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to spend most of our time this morning looking at verse 7 because verse 7, I would, I would argue, is really the theme verse for the entire book of Proverbs. And really everything in the first six verses that lead up to that, it's to kind of explain what the author's getting to in verse 7. And in verse 7, here is what I would say the main message is, and this is really going to be kind of the theme for the entire um, the entire sermon series here, and that is that I foolproof my life when I live based on the truth that God is God and I am not. That's really what it amounts to here. 
that if I want to be wise, if I don't want to be foolish, then I need to live my life based on the fact that God is God and I am not. Now, the way that the word fool is used in the book of Proverbs is a little bit different than the way we use it in our culture today. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about that. Because if we don't want to be a fool, we need to understand what the Bible means by that. And I think the, the word fool or foolish is used something like 73 times in the book of Proverbs. So it's one of the main themes here. But in our English Bible, while that's always translated fool or foolish, there's actually three underlying Hebrew words that can be translated fool. And they're all used somewhere in Proverbs. The first word, it's the one that's used in verse 7 here that we're going to look at this morning. It's the Hebrew word avil. The, the W in Hebrew sounds like a V, so what does that sound like in English? Evil, huh? And that's the word that he uses there. And this describes someone who is morally deficient or corrupt, someone who has an intentional disregard for what he knows to be true. So this is the kind of person that, that's always trying to get away with everything that he or she can. And they do it intentionally. And that's what he's talking about here. So so a fool is someone who does that intentionally. And this is the primary word that's used all throughout the the book of of Proverbs. There's a second one that's also commonly used. It's the Hebrew word kesil. And that word means someone who's simply ignorant of the moral demands of God. So, So for that person, for that kind of fool, there's still some hope, right? Because their disobedience to God is not willful. They're disobeying him because they don't really understand any better. And we see that kind of fool throughout the book of Proverbs as well. <coughs> Excuse me. The third word, it's not used nearly as much, but it's used quite a bit in the Old Testament as the Hebrew word Nabal. And you might even uh, remember that I think it's in about 1 Samuel chapter 25, there's a, a guy named Nabal or Nabal who, uh, who comes against David and God strikes him dead because he's that kind of a fool. He's so insensitive to the consequences of his own action. He kind of just does stuff without thinking about how it affects anyone else. And so we take all that and we put it together. Here's here's what I think is a good definition of a fool for us to use as we go through this series. It's any person who rejects God's ways. Pretty simple, right? Or as we put it earlier in in our main, main theme, it's someone who thinks that they're God really, if you want to come right down to it, or puts themselves in the place of God. Now, we should begin to, to, to understand what wisdom is by understanding the definition of a fool because someone who lives wisely lives in complete contrast to the fool, right? So you can begin to, to probably make some definitions of what wisdom is just by thinking about that. But what we find interestingly in the in the Old Testament is the idea of wisdom, not only the Old Testament, New Testament as well, is that it's a little bit different than the way we tend to look at it here in our culture today. And the first thing that we find about wisdom is that in the book of Proverbs in particular, that there are a lot of different synonyms that are used to describe wisdom. Things like knowledge, understanding, learning, wisdom. And we shouldn't be surprised at that because we've talked about this before, that in Hebrew poetry, what the author does is he tends not to rhyme thoughts so much as he tends, or uh, words so much as he rhymes thoughts. So you'll see these parallel thoughts where the writer will use a bunch of different synonyms to describe the same thing. 
And I can show you this really clearly because we just looked at verse 7 a minute ago, which says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Okay, a little bit later, when we get to Proverbs chapter 9, here's almost the same verse. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the writer is not writing about two different things here. I can guarantee if you look at the context, he's saying the very same thing. He's saying the way that we get wisdom is through the fear of the Lord, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So all these things are wrapped up. So there's all these different facets of wisdom that we're going to see throughout the book. We also begin to see that we need to think of of wisdom in terms of the Hebrew way of thought. We have this Western way of thinking, and in our Western way, Western way of thinking, wisdom is about what we think, right? About what we have in our mind. It's about knowledge. But the Hebrew, in the Hebrew idea, wisdom is more about doing than about knowing. It's more about doing than knowing. And we see this really clearly. It's really interesting to me. I, I've seen this before, but I saw it again this week that the word that's translated wisdom throughout Proverbs, guess how it's translated back in the book of Exodus? It's translated skill. When it describes all the people that were working on the tabernacle and building all the, the instruments that went in there, the, the women that were sewing the clothes of the priests, it uses the same word. Here's one example from Exodus chapter 35. It says, God, he filled them with skill to do every sort of work. Same word as wisdom in Proverbs. And what we find is in this, this Hebrew idea of wisdom, it's more about doing than just about thinking. I mean, if I were to ask you who is a wise person, what would we, we would definitely think, we would tend to think of someone who is intellectually capable. We might talk about like a wise philosopher, right? But in the Hebrew way of thinking, it just as much includes, includes the manual labor who pounds nails or lays tile or does anything else. And this is really instructive for us because we find out that, that wisdom is not just limited to the things in our life that we would consider to be spiritual, things like going to church and praying and reading our Bible, but it also impacts every other area of our life. It, imp- it impacts our jobs, our marriages, our families, Everything, every part of our life should be impacted by this wisdom, and so we need to live with wisdom in every single area of our life. One of my favorite scholars when I'm trying to understand some of these Hebrew ideas is a a guy named Skip Moen, and here's what he had to say about wisdom. He says, just do it is the essence of Hebrew religion. It doesn't really matter if you don't understand Actually, you can believe that the mitzvah, mitzvah is just a word for the commandments or the scriptures, is impossible either logically or practically, but just do it. Just do it anyway. While most westernized religions operate on the basis of apologetics, give me a good reason and then I'll decide, right? Isn't that how we do it? The religion of Israel is based on practice. Actions really do speak louder than words. In fact, actions have eternal significance. We're going to see this in in, in a couple of months. We're going to study the book of James, and that's really what James says about our faith. He says, faith has to be accompanied by actions. It's not just what you say. It's what you do. And so that's, that's really true of wisdom as well. And so we take and we put all that together. Here's, here's the definition of wisdom that I'm going to use during this series. It's really simple. It's God-enabled skill for living. In other words, believing that God is God and doing what he says. That's how we get wisdom. 
Or as we said a moment ago, I foolproof my life when I live based on the truth that God is God and I am not. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So the question then becomes, how do I get that kind of wisdom? I mean, that's the, the question we asked earlier. How do I get that kind of wisdom? And the answer is really simple on, in one sense, but it's a little more complex than that when you begin to dig in. How does he say we get wisdom in verse 7? How do we get it? The fear of the Lord. But what's the fear of the Lord? I mean, we've, we talk about that a lot, but what really is it? It's interesting in, in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament in particular, when the word fear is used, it can be used really in three different ways. The first way it can be used is to describe the terror in a frightening situation. You know, you're like, you're out camping and a bear comes to your tent. That's fear, right? That would be fear. The second one is a respect for one's master. That might be in your job. You have a certain amount of fear of your employer, right? You, you, you have this respect for him because you know that he could take your job away from you. And the third one, the third idea of fear is this reverence or awe that we feel in the presence of greatness. I mean, if you've ever been in the, the presence of someone who is, is really great at what they do, there's a certain amount of reverence or, and awe that comes along with that. You know which one the fear of the Lord is? All three of them, yeah. All three of those things are, are wrapped up in this idea of the fear of the Lord. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment and how we, how we use that practically in our life. So if we, if we begin to understand that, then, then I really like this definition. I don't know who came up with this one, but this is probably the best definition of the fear of the Lord that I've seen. It's the continual awareness that our loving Heavenly Father is watching and evaluating everything we think, say, and do. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Or as we've said today, it's letting God be God, not trying to be God ourselves. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this kind of fear of the Lord, it should not drive you away from God at all, but it ought to drive you to your knees. It ought to cause you to humble yourself before God and bow before Him, recognizing who He is. On the other hand, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, then there is an aspect of the fear of the Lord that ought to scare you, recognizing that one day God is going to judge you for your life. And if that's the case, then, then you can move beyond that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ so you don't have to worry about that. And if you've never done that, we encourage you to do that today. So the way that we get wisdom is by this fear of the Lord. But, but how do we really develop the fear of the Lord in our lives? I want to I end our time by being really practical here this morning, give you some things that I think can, can help you to do it. And, and really, this is all wrapped up in verses 2 through 6 here. And if you look at those verses, you'll notice that each one of those verses, each one of those phrases in those verses begins with a verb. And what that tells us is that there is something that we need to do in order to develop this kind of wisdom. It's not like we can just get it once and, and we keep it forever. I, I think Solomon's the perfect example of that, right? 
He writes the book of Proverbs here when he, probably when he's a young man, when he's still exhibiting the wisdom that God gives him. But he also writes the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. And by now Solomon has 700 wives and 300 concubines, and that in itself should be proof enough that he's not living very wisely anymore, right? I mean, I, I don't even know how I'd remember the names of my 700 wives. So he's not living real wisely. So there's a warning force here that, that, that being, being wise, it's not something we just do once and we kind of pick it up and then we just live our lives. It's something we have to continually do. There's verbs here. And there's also, as we're going to see, as we go through the book of Proverbs, there's a warning here that we ought to do that as early in life as possible. That helps us to avoid some of those foolish decisions that we would otherwise make. And so if you're young, you want to get wisdom right now. Some of you, like me, didn't become Christians till later on in life. Some of you even later on in life than I did. For me, it was when I was in college. And I wish I'd been a disciple of Christ earlier. I could have avoided a lot of stupid decisions I made. So get it as early as you can. So two practical things that I'm going to share with you. Here's the first one. And this shouldn't be any surprise. Seek to understand God as he really is, not as you want him to be. Seek to know him as he really is, not as you want him to be. In the Bible, there's really two ways that we can become fools. The first way is this. I can become a fool by just saying there is no God. Right? That's what what David wrote about in Psalm 14. Here's what he writes. The fool says in his heart there is no God. So if you want to be a fool, just say there is no God. You'll be a fool. Now, my guess is there's no one joining us here today, whether you're here in person or, or joining us <coughs> excuse me, online, who fits in that category because you probably wouldn't be here. So we probably don't have to worry about that one, but there's a second way. And here's what that second way is. We can, we can take and we can make God into the God that we want him to be rather than the God who he really is. And frankly, it's really easy to do that. And not only can we do that as individuals, But the church can do that as a whole, too. And here in our Western civilization, and especially here in the United States, we're seeing that happen more and more. You want to know how you do that, how you you make God into a God that you want him to be than the God he really is? Just when you read about your sin, just ignore it. Just excuse it. Just explain it away. Or don't read those passages at all. That's why we encourage you to read the entire Scripture. Sometimes you're going to find some things that are going to be tough to deal with. We're going to find that when we get to the book of Proverbs. There's going to be some stuff here that doesn't make sense. And so it's easy to just kind of explain it away. Or what you can do is you can begin to just accommodate the culture and go along with the culture because, frankly, that's a lot easier than standing out in the culture, isn't it? It's a lot easier just to go along with the people who don't want to follow the biblical principles. And there are a lot of churches doing it. If you want to do that, just be a church that that has the motto, love, period, and preach about the love of God. And don't preach about the fact that God is holy and that he's righteous and that he's just and that he is going to punish sin one day. So what we have to do is that we have to make sure that, that we don't, Make God into a God that we want him to be. So how, how do we do that? Let me share with you real quickly just three ways that I think you, there's a lot of stuff you could do. But here's the first one is when you come to God's word, don't do it with preconceived ideas. 
Now, we all have them out there, right? We have certain theologies we might ascribe to. We have certain views of the end times that we ascribe to. We have certain things that we do. But just try to come to God's Word and just read it as fresh as you can. And that's not easy. So when I do it, I pray. I say, God, would you you open up your word today? Would you show me your word from your perspective, not from mine? Holy Spirit, would you help me to, to, to find the truth that's in this passage, even if it doesn't fit with what I already believe? The second thing that we need to do is that we need to make sure, excuse me, that we're honest about our sin. Like I just said, when we sin, we confess it and we repent. And then the third thing, and this is one that I think is really, really hard for most of us, is that we have to genuinely listen to those who have different viewpoints. Now, I'm not saying we're going to always come around to those other viewpoints. Sometimes those viewpoints are wrong, but sometimes we're wrong too. And one of the greatest, I think, barriers to seeing God as who He is is our pride. Because we take certain positions and we're going to hang on to them no matter what. And so we need to come to God's Word and we need to listen to those. You know what, every week when I, when I prepare my messages, I read commentaries from people that I totally disagree with. Because I want to be challenged by that. I want to look at what they say, and I want to take, and here's what we have to do. We have to compare it to what do the Scriptures say. And I think the, the whole practice of just wrestling with some of those things, being challenged by some things that might not fit with our way of thinking, that's a really healthy way for us to make sure that we see God as He really is and not make Him into the God that we want Him to be. So that's the first thing. We need to see God as He is. Here's the second thing. This is really simple To say hard to do, obey even when you don't understand. Obey. This is really similar, I think, to the relationship that we have with our parents. A lot lot of times our relationship with God has a lot of parallels, doesn't it? I mean, when we're a little kid, what do your parents do? They give you some instructions and they say, you do it because I told you to do it, right? And our parents aren't doing that because they hate us. They're not doing it because they want to harm us. They're actually doing that because... They love us, and they don't want to see us hurt. And so when we disobey, there are some consequences to that, right? Sometimes some painful consequences to that. And the reason they do that is because they don't want us to burn our hand on the hot stove. They don't want us to run out in the street and get struck by a car. And sometimes we just, when we're small, we just have to obey because they told us to do it, even though we don't understand it. Now, as we get a little older, what happens? Then our parents might begin to explain, here's why I'm telling you to do that, when we're old enough to understand that. Same thing in our walk with God. As we get a little more mature, God might begin to show us. Sometimes he just has to say, don't do it. And then eventually we come to the point, hopefully in our relationship, when, when, our, when we, we grow up and we move from the house, where we still have a certain fear of our parents, but now it's just the respect. It's not the fear of punishment or anything else. And they not only become our parents, but... They can be our friends then. You know, when your kids are little, they don't need friends. They need parents. But when they get older, you can eventually come to the place where you mature, and they can become your friends too. Same thing happens with God. Didn't Jesus say that? He said, he, want, he says, I call you my friends. God wants to be our friend. But not until we've learned to obey him first. And when we go through the book of Proverbs, we're going to find some stuff here. That's going to be hard to obey. I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to make sense from the world standards. 
from the world's perspective, and sometimes we just have to obey it even though it doesn't make sense because God said to do it, and that's how we live wisely rather than become fools. As we said this morning, I foolproof my life when I live based on the truth that God is God and I am not. So I told the kids earlier that we're going to do the in the bag at the end of the message this morning. So if you guys want to come on down now, we're actually, I'm not even going to bring the bag. I'm going to show a couple of videos in a minute, some that might be familiar to some of you guys. Some of you might even appear in these videos. <laughs> So, a couple weeks ago, um, we were at the beach. We went to the beach, and a bunch of us were building this big old giant sandcastle, right? And we piled up all this sand, so this first video shows the work on that sandcastle. Okay, so this this is pretty big, and there's all this sand. It was piled up. Packed down really great, you know? And then a little bit later, some of the waves began to get a little bit higher. And so we had to reinforce now the sandcastle, and some of the adults even jumped in on this. So here's the next video where they're reinforcing the sandcastle as the waves get closer. What do you think happens next? What do you think, Jonathan? Yep, the waves washed this whole thing away. Let's look at the third video. Oh, no. It's gone. Here, Amber. Here. Now, I can, I can tell you the next day when we came back to that same beach, you couldn't tell that that same castle had ever been there, right? And what's really interesting is that Jesus used that very same example one day. He was talking to his disciples, and he said, if you want to live a foolish life, then just listen to what I say, but don't obey it. And he said, that's like building your house on, what do you think, if we don't listen, on sand, right? And he says, when the waves come and when the winds come, when things get hard in life, it's just going to wash away. That's what it means by being a fool that we talked about this morning. But Jesus said, if you listen to my words and you obey them, it's like building your house on, what do you think he said then? What do you think? Stone rock, yeah. And we actually saw on that same beach, there were a bunch of rocks out there that were piled up. And guess what? When the waves came, those rocks were still there the next day. We put a bunch of sand on them. Sand washed off, but the rocks were still there. That's what it means to live a wise life that we do the things that God told us to do and that we're obedient to him. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Father, we do uh, pray that you would help us to lead wise lives, that we wouldn't be foolish, that we would build our house on rock and not on sand by being obedient to you, by doing the things that we're going to learn about as we go through the book of Proverbs. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.